We're going to be in Luke chapter 22 today, but we're going to begin in Isaiah chapter 29, uh, 59. When pastor was ministering this morning, this verse came to mind, and so I want to share it with you as the lead off for the message. In Isaiah chapter 59, let's begin with verse 14. Well, no, let's begin with verse 15. Verse 15. Up to verse 15, what has happened is that the leaders and people of the, of the children of Israel have been in rebellion to God. It's kind of common that we read this all the time, right? They're in rebellion to God. But in verse 15, it switches a little bit. It says, yea, truth faileth. Because it, it talks about all the things that's going wrong in the nation. And then it says, yea, truth faileth. And he that departeth from evil maketh himself a prey. He that departeth from evil maketh himself a prey. When I read that, because that was not where I was, what, I, what came to mind this morning when pastor was ministering. But when I read that, that really describes today a lot of the body of Christ. They know that if they stand for truth, people are going to come after them. They know that. And they don't want to be a prey. They don't want to have people coming after them over what they believe. The sad part about what this verse says is that you, when you read the rest of the chapter, you find out how God views the prey. Okay? It says, yea, verse 15, truth faileth, and he that departed from evil maketh himself a prey. So all of us, when we depart from evil, we make ourselves a prey. Say it with me. I am a prey. <laughs> Truth faileth, and he that departeth from evil, we are leaving, has left evil, decided not to associate with evil, maketh himself a prey. And the Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no judgment. It displeased the Lord that there was no righteous judgment for the person who stood for truth and against evil. Okay? Verse 16. And he saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore his arm brought salvation unto him. Whose arm brought salvation to the prey? The Lord's arm. His arm brought salvation unto him. And his righteousness is sustained him. For he put on righteousness as a breastplate, a helmet of salvation upon his heart, upon his head, and he put on the garments of vengeance for clothing, and was clad with zeal as a cloak. The Lord was doing this for the prey. Are you following me, ladies and gentlemen? When you stand for truth, you become prey, and then this is how the Lord responds. According, verse 18, to their deeds, according, accordingly, he will repay. Fury to his adversaries, recompense to his enemies, to the islands he will repay recompense. So shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising sun. Do you see what God is doing for the person who makes him or herself pray? who is standing for truth, standing against evil, standing against wickedness. You see what he's done. 
But he, the, then we read, the, and this is the, what came to my mind as pastor was ministering this morning. When the enemy shall come in like a flood. When the enemy shall come in like a flood. What does that tell us, ladies and gentlemen? It doesn't say if the enemy comes in. It says when. The enemy is coming. He is coming. And he is coming after the prey. Do you see this? The enemy is coming. It's not an if, and, or, but. It is a when. It is a when. And Pastor, you know, looked at uh, John chapter 8, verse 44 this morning, talked about Satan is a liar. That's the primary way he comes, by lying to us and getting us deceived to thinking and doing things that we should not do. When the enemy shall come in like a flood, he's going to come in, he's going to try to overwhelm you, he's going to try to drown you with his lies, with his deceits. That's what he's coming after. The spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against him. Praise God. Shall lift up a standard against him. And that word standard means to to impel, to cause, to flee. When the prey, when the person who stands for truth, trust in God, God says, and this is the way Barry sees it, I got your back. God will stand with you. Okay? I want to read that as a introduction in a way to where we're going in Luke chapter 22. In Luke chapter 22, verse 1, it says, Now the feast of unleavened bread drew nigh, which is called the Passover. And the chief priests and scribes sought how they might kill him, kill Jesus, for they feared the people. Then entered Satan into Judas, surnamed Iscariot, being of the number of the twelve. And he went his way and communed with the chief priests and captains and how he might betray him unto them. And they were glad and covenant to give him money. And he promised and sought opportunity to betray him unto them in the absence of the multitude. So we see here that Judas is covenant, covenanting. And, and when I read that word, I thought about, you know, the blood covenant and what all that meant. This word is not nearly as strong. It simply means he reached an agreement. He came into one accord. They're on the same page that this is what we're going to do to Jesus. Okay. But what, what Judas did not know was the extent of what his betrayal was doing. Okay. Now, in verses 7 through 13, that is when the disciples go to look for the location for the Passover, as Jesus had described. And in verses 14 through 24, they eat the Passover supper. Okay? So we've looked at Judas betraying Jesus, looking for an opportunity to to betray him, and now we're going to pick it up in verse 21. Okay? In verse 21, I'm sorry, verse 23. In verse 23, and they, the disciples, began to inquire among themselves which of them 
it was that should do this thing about, you know, turn, you know, betraying Jesus. And there was also a strife among them. You know, so they got to arguing about that. <laughs> you know, which one of you guys doing it? Huh? Who? Who? Peter, is that, you, are you going to betray Jesus? Oh, man, I'm not going to betray Jesus. You know me better than that. So they got to arguing about it. And then in verse 20, 24, it says, And there was also strife among them, which of them should be accounted the greatest. Okay, which of them should be accounted the greatest. So in, to me, so when I read these two verses, I, I looked at those two verses as being the status debate. The, the, the disciples were having a status debate. You know, who is going to be top dog And once Jesus is no longer here? Isn't that something? Jesus is going to go to the cross, die for him, and they want to know, okay, which one of us is going to be top dog? <laughs> and I just love the way Jesus handles this. And we pick it up in verse 25. And he, Jesus, said unto them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and they that exercise authority upon them are called benefactors. They are called benefactors because they are perceived to be giving favor, but that is not always true of all the kings, okay? But then verse 26, Jesus says, but ye shall not be so. Jesus says, that is not the model that you are going to follow. Okay? That's not the way it works in the kingdom. That is not the way it works in the kingdom. Jesus says, but he that is greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he that is chief as he that doth serve. He that is greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he that is chief as doth he serve. Verse 27. Four. Whether is great, whether is greater, he that sitteth at meat or he that serveth. Is not he that sitteth at meat but I am among you as he that serves. I am among you as he has served. Jesus turns the table, ladies and gentlemen, on this whole issue of who is the greatest. He turns the table because he says, the one who serves, this is what Jesus is saying, follow me. The one who serves is the greater. The one who serves is the greater. And you're going to see where I'm going. I want you to think about this. How many of you have ever gone to a restaurant? First, for, you know, first time you've gone to a restaurant. And so your waitress or your waiter comes over and you're looking over the menu and you ask the person, what's the best thing on the menu here? What's really good? And so the person gives you his or her opinion of what's really the best thing on the menu, right? I ask you, in this situation, the person who is sitting at the table, is that the greater person or the person who's answering the question? Okay, it's not a hard question. It's not a hard answer. The person who's giving the answer to the question. Because we're sitting there depending on the waitress or the waiter to tell us what's the best thing on the menu. Okay? 
in this situation, Jesus says, but ye shall not be so. For whether it is, whether it, whether is greater, he that sitteth at meat or he that serveth. It's not he that sitteth at meat, but I am among you as he that serveth. We are to treat people like they need what we are offering. We need to treat people like they need what we are offering. We are to treat people like they are the guests, that they are the greatest, because they need what we are offering. Okay? So my question then, ladies and gentlemen, if the people that we come in contact with, the people that we interact with, they need what we are offering, because they surely are not getting it from the climate today, If they need what we are offering, what are you feeding them? What are you feeding them? Because Jesus says, I am one who serves. And Jesus says, we are to be just like him, one who serves. What are you feeding them? Okay. Verse 28 says, ye are they which have continued with me in my temptations. And I appoint unto you a kingdom as my father hath appointed unto me, that ye may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Verse 31, verse 32 is where I really want to go. In verse 31, Jesus says, And the Lord says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not, and when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. That word sift, it means to sieve or to shake. When involving people, it means to agitate and prove by trials and afflictions. So Satan had in mind some trials and afflictions that he wanted to shake up the disciples with. Okay? To shake them up. And the point of all of what Satan wanted to do, he wanted to find out what kind of wheat they were. What kind of wheat they were. So Jesus says Satan will attempt to sift the disciples as wheat. So why is wheat sifted and what does the process look like? Sifting wheat is a two-step process, ladies and gentlemen. The first step in the process of sifting wheat is to loosen the chaff from the edible grain, which is called threshing. The old-fashioned way to do this is to spread the wheat onto the floor, made from stone, concrete, or trampled earth, and to beat it with a flail. I watched a video of how wheat is, um, how it is threshed in the old country. And there was a guy who was winnowing the wheat, and then there was a, then he had children who were just tumbling in the wheat. And then he had a don- three donkeys just walking around in the wheat. Because it doesn't take a lot of pressure to separate the chaff, well, to break the chaff off the wheat. Okay? To break the chaff off the wheat. Because the chaff is the outer hole, the outer covering on the wheat. And so the donkeys were just walking around, just casually walking. 
you know, talking, hey, did you, did you see the latest newspaper article? Nah, I didn't pay any attention to it. They just continued to walk and talk, okay? When last time you seen your mother-in-law? Oh, I hadn't seen her in a while. And they just continued to walk and talk. And then you have the children just tumbling in the week, tumbling. And it made me think about when I was growing up, we had friends who had barns. And so they had barns full of hay, and we would just jump off the high loft into the hay. And that just made me think about that. So the, the, the trampling of the wheat is what breaks the hull. The next step is called winnowing, where the loosened chaff is removed from the grain. The old-fashioned way of doing this is just to take a fork and just kind of throw it in the air. The chaff will kind of fly away and the wheat will fall back down. The heavier grains will fall back to the ground below where they were thrown. The wheat gets sifted so the hard shell can be broken through and removed. The wheat gets shifted, sifted so that the hard shell can be removed. You want the actual wheat to remain and nothing extra. And this is my point. Wheat has to be sifted before it can be used. Wheat has to be sifted before it can be used. What Satan wanted to do with the apostles was to sift, was to sift them through temptations, through everything that he had planned for them to prove to Jesus, you can't use these guys. You can't use them. They, they can't stand up to the pressure. They can't stand up to the pressure. Isaiah chapter 59. Remember I talked about that the person who stands up for truth is a prey. Satan is saying, telling Jesus, you don't have any praise on your staff. None of your, none of your disciples are willing to be prey. To stand on the truth. Okay? In the past, when I read this passage about Satan wanted to sift you as wheat, it didn't communicate a positive message to me. And the primary reason was because of who the sifting was associated with. Satan. But ladies and gentlemen, Sifting is a good thing. Sifting is a good thing. But Jesus, Jesus used it as a way to communicate to Peter and the apostles of what Satan wanted to do. Sifting is, can be a good thing, but it's going to be difficult and it's going to be hard. So the sifting is what you go through. The sifting is what the wheat goes through in order to be used. Okay? Satan wanted to test the disciples. He wanted to prove them unworthy of Jesus' trust. This morning, Pastor looked at 1 Peter chapter 5, and I'm going to do it too. 1 Peter chapter 5. In the sifting process, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. It says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walking about seeking whom he may devour, devour, and 
using some of what Pastor talked about in John chapter 8, verse 44, how Satan is a liar, seeking whom he may devour with his lies in the sifting process. Seeking whom he may devour with lies in the sifting process. Okay? Verse 9. Whom resist steadfast in what? In faith. Resist steadfast in faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. Okay? Back to Luke chapter 22. So we're looking at the fact that Satan wanted to sift. Remember we read in the first part of the chapter how Judas covenanted with the Pharisee, the religious leaders, to betray Jesus? Remember how he had already agreed to a certain amount of money to betray Jesus? Judas has already been sifted and failed the test. He, he was sifted and failed the test. Here is where I'm going. There is not going to, there will never be a time as long as you are living where you will not be exposed to a sifting time. It's not going to, ha- you're always going to be exposed to a sifting time because the enemy of the soul wants to find out how much of who you are that you are living by. He wants to find out how much of who you are you are living by. Okay? In Job, in Job chapter 1, Satan tried the same thing. And it's a record that we're very familiar with. Remember, he goes to, he, he joins the sons of God in a meeting with, 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 sons of God in a meeting with God. And God, bless his heart, <laughs> he points Job out. He says, you know, have you considered my servant Job? Why would God do that? He knew how Job was going to respond. He knew how Job was going to respond. He knew Job would pass the sifting process. He knew Job would pass the sifting process. In verse 7, it says, And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered, And the Lord said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down in it. I I feel like I'm just saying the same thing Pastor said this morning. (laughs) And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in all the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for naught? Hast thou not made a hedge about him and about his house and about all that he hath on every side? And hath blessed the work of his hands, and the substance is increased in the land. But put forth thine hand now, and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to the faith. To the faith, put him through a sifting time. And the Lord allowed Satan to put Job through a sifting time. What sifting does, ladies and gentlemen, it brings us face to face. With ourselves. It brings us face to face with ourselves. It reveals to you, reveals to us, those things that we need to separate ourselves from, that we need to kill, that we need to mortify. Same principle. That we kill, we need to mortify. The outer shell of a person, think about it as being the flesh. 
must be removed. And we know we're not going to cut our flesh off. Okay. But it has to be put to death so that the new nature on the inside of us can begin to fully mature. Okay. To begin to fully mature. So verse 31 again. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has desired you. And when he, that word you is plural and it means all of the disciples that he may sift you as wheat. But then Jesus changes. He says, but I have prayed for thee. I have prayed for you, Simon, that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Notice that Jesus didn't pray that Simon would escape the sifting process. He prayed that his faith would not fail him during the sifting process. Judas's faith failed him during the sifting process. Okay? And if, you continue, if we continue to read, because this is all leading up to the Passover... If you continue to read that after the Passover, when Jesus was arrested, all of the disciples went through a sifting process and failed at various stages. They failed at various stages, but they did not fail the process completely like Judas. Okay. Wheat must be sifted before it can be used. And Jesus says it will be our faith that enables us to endure the sifting. First John chapter 5, verse 4. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, our faith. And that is exactly what Jesus was praying that would sustain Simon through the sifting process. So Jesus says, Simon, once you have come through the process and returned to me, you must help your brothers do the same. And help them establish their faith. That's what he says. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, when you return to me, strengthen your brethren. Strengthen your brethren. Sifting is required of those who will labor in the revival. Sifting is required of those who will labor in the revival. Now, right now, some of you are in the midst of an active sifting. It's unpleasant. It's irritating. It's causing you to question some things and perhaps even doubt some things. And some of you may even feel like you're failing. Sifting brings to the forefront where you are in your faith walk. Where you are in your faith walk. And remember, Jesus didn't pray that Peter would not go through the sifting, but that his faith wouldn't fail him during the sifting. And the same is true of each one of us. That is why faith is so important. I want to go back to Isaiah chapter 59 again, and then we're going to close in James. In Isaiah 59, we read verse 19. Now I want to read verse 19 again. It says, remember, God is coming to the defense of the prey, of the one who is standing on truth. 
the one who refuses to compromise on truth. So shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. When the enemy shall come in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord shall lift him up in a standard against him. And the Redeemer shall come to Zion and unto them that turn from transgression in Jacob, saith the Lord. As for me, this is my covenant with them. With who? The prey. Saith the Lord, my spirit that is upon thee and my words which I have put in my, thy mouth. Words that he's put in our mouth. Words that are available for us to put into our mouth. Okay? Shall not depart out of thy mouth, nor out of the mouth of thy seed, nor out of the mouth of thy seed seed, saith the Lord, from henceforth and forever. Because you have put your trust in me, and you are willing to get out there on that limb as a prey. And then finally, James chapter 1. A verse that you are very familiar with. Verse 2. It says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers temptations. Count it all joy. Joy is a decision we make that we're going to live in it because the temptations are not going to be fun. So how do you count it joy when you're going through some of the worst possible things in life? Because the Bible tells us to. Because he says, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing that the trying of your faith worketh patience, worketh endurance. It worketh endurance. So ladies and gentlemen, sometimes it's hard to have joy when you're going through something so unpleasant. But the Bible says we can. And the Bible says it's a decision that we make. It doesn't matter what's going on around us. It's a decision that we make. The more we recognize that we are going through a sifting process, the easier it's going to be to come out of it. The more you recognize the sifting process, the easier it's going to be to come out of it. Because you are filling your mind with the word and faith comes with more word on the inside of us. So don't let the enemy of the soul get you thinking that this is just too difficult. It's just not worth the effort. It's easier not to be praying. So many in the body of Christ, it has made that decision, and they don't even know it, that, it's, that they have made the decision that they're not going to put themselves in God's hands so that he can move on their behalf. I believe that I am standing in front of a group of people who understand faithfulness to God is the most important thing that we could ever do. I don't mind being prey when I know that my father is always going to be there to take care of the enemy of the soul. Because he knows that each one of us, we have value to him. We have value to him. And the longer 
we are here, the more value we have. Because the longer we are here, there are going to be fewer and fewer and fewer of us who are willing to take a stand, who are willing to, to say no to all the things that a lot of other Christians are willing to say yes to. Our value increases. And we begin to look more and more like that person in the mirror. Second Corinthians chapter three, verse 18. Amen. I have asked my fellow praisers to come back up and we're going to close with a song. And I asked Jamie, I said, you know, if the Lord lays a song or something on your heart while I'm ministering, please share that with us as well. And so we're going to do that, and then we're going to close.